my name is David, and this is Old News. Hello, and uh, my name is Russell, and uh, this is Old News. What what's what's Old News? It's news that's old. Yeah, so I'm having a crisis about the name now because news like has the word news. So how can it be old news? Who just be olds? <laughs> olds. Well, yeah, anyway, right, we, this, yeah. is, this is what we've decided. Isn't that it's... what we are in in the in the lexicon of the youth? <laughs> increasingly, the, increasingly the case yeah. as, t- as as time passes. Yeah, this is old news. It's an idea for a podcast uh, we've had for a little while now. Maybe as if no, probably yeah. well, mainly you. Yeah. This uh, started a, a discussion in the pub about uh, well, we 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 talk about interesting things in the pub. Be- other people would want want to listen to it, and uh, here we are. What does that actually mean? Well, we're going to take old things that used to be in the news, old news stories that you you might be thinking, well, whatever happened about such and such? Yeah, or or just maybe it's just something we think we've got. Uh, an angle on that perhaps was forgotten about at the time or perhaps wasn't so important then but but perhaps in retrospect is uh so and it's largely whatever we fancy talking about which uh which pleases me an awful lot and we should point out that um you know if if any of our listeners come up with things they'd like us to talk about they can let yeah, us know yeah i'm more than ha- happy to uh take suggestions yeah we'll be giving out email addresses and things later on uh, when when we remember what they are, to be honest, yeah. um, uh, wouldn't we have to set set them up first? Yeah, I already have. That's uh, okay, all done. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what what's on the agenda for uh, our first episode? Wasn't there something else we were going to say? We've got to remind people that we're not journalists. We are not journalists. We are, in fact, uh, just two blokes, sort of not in the pub, but yeah. <laughs> we're in a study with a, a broken desk lamp that is fixed with a lump of blue tack, which is rather alarming. But yeah, we're not journalists, we're not here to provide uh, a balance like the BBC or some sort of, uh, we will probably be coming at it from a, a certain uh, political perspective, mm. I guess, um, which will become apparent as time goes on. But Take or leave it. You know, we're not here to provide a news service. We're here to comment on old news, which is the point. Yeah, I should also point out we both have a pint of beer next to us, a pint of home brew, actually, <laughs> of indeterminate strength, yeah. uh, which is rather, rather, rather alarming. So if we fall over at some point uh, in the next twenty minutes, you know why. Hopefully, we won't. It's, it's not. I didn't make it that strong. It's quite tasty yeah. though. I, I, this, yeah. this one. Yeah, it's not one, bad. One actually, worked. not yeah. bad. It did work. Yeah. yeah. So, should we say a little bit about ourselves, sort of, or where we're from? Uh, I'm yes. Okay, so we're both from uh, the northeast of England in a, a, a place called County Durham, if that matters. And I guess we're both white and somewhat lower middle class. I don't know if that that'd be the right description, but I, I, uh, we we sort of are sort of the the, the, the very normal fare for podcasts, I guess. Obviously, both male. If, if you know, just in case you needed that. Yeah, yes, yeah. both self self identified as male. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, do we want to have a chat about uh, what it is we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, yeah. So, um, we're going to be talking about the Columbia disaster. That wasn't a because that is so old. We're not talking about a disaster that happened in the country of Columbia. It's uh, the space shuttle that uh, exploded, and then after that. We're going to be talking about North Korea, its nuclear bombs. 
and specifically the uh, the first nuclear te- or at least the starting point will be the first nuclear test uh, from the Democratic People's Republic. Uh, we should always be wary of countries with have any of those words in their names. Old news. I suppose we start with the subject, right. you know, the Columbia disaster. One of the things I should point out, when we agreed to do this podcast, I said I'd be doing all the technical stuff and Russell could do all the uh, research. Yeah, Russell has uh, all the interesting stuff written down to talk about. So, yeah. Tell so, us about so, Columbia. So, the, the, the Columbia uh, disaster, uh, the 1st of February 2003. So, that's uh, quite, quite a while ago now. And this was STS-107 mission uh prizes for anybody who knows what sts stands for David? space transport system something space like that transit system ah, yes, there yes. we go so we'll, we might talk a little bit about that so one of the reasons why i wanted to talk about uh the columbia disaster and, and perhaps do this rather than the the uh the challenger disaster which is a little bit more well known and well remembered is, is well a precisely because because of that but also i just wanted uh to again uh, indulge in a little bit of a cliche uh of the uh, the jfk test and the jfk test is can you remember where you were when it happened mm-hmm. so here's a question do you david uh no i don't remember where i was when the columbia disaster happened i remember where i was actually i was going to say i remember where i was for the challenger disaster I remember watching the news in my bedroom before a night at Cubs. Right. So <laughs> on my little black and white yeah. telly. But no, the Columbia disaster, I don't remember where I was at all. Yeah, I, I can remember being uh, at home at, our, at the parents' house and uh, sort of the, 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 the news happened. It must have been sort of quite late in the evening, 10, 11 at night. And I remember my parents coming home and I met them in the hallway going, have you heard the news? My goodness, there's this thing that's happened. And, and my mother was going, what are you on about? Um, <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, we really shouldn't be laughing at the death of uh, like a, a large crew of people because uh, that's rather distressing. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting how, obviously, the Challenger is remembered much more distinctly, I think largely because of the, uh, the Teacher in Space program. And, it, and certainly it was very traumatic in the States cause, because of the, uh, the uh, Krista uh, McAuliffe who was on board, who was the teacher in space, she she, she was on board and so that there was an awful lot of uh, school children in the States were watching live on the TV, watching the takeoff on, uh, on the various uh, video feeds. Uh, CNN were the one that carried it, if I remember rightly, one of their sort of early sort of big... Uh, coups because they were the only people carrying the launch so obviously there's an awful lot of school children at the time in uh, 1986 uh, January that remember the Challenger but Columbia is sort of one of those failures uh, one of those uh, terrible disasters that happens and it's kind of forgotten so let's just uh, revisit a little bit about sort of what happened I assume most listeners are intelligent and they have some idea as to how the space shuttle was uh, constructed but you had the shuttle itself, the orbiter the, the large external fuel tank which yeah. was uh, like an orange color if i remember rightly and the two solid rocket boosters uh, and the large chunk of the foam uh, the foam insulation on the uh, the the tank came off during the launch it smacked into the leading edge of the left wing damaged part of the uh, 
was called the reinforced carbon carbon there you go which was formed formed the leading edge designed to be quite strong and uh, very heat resistant uh, that that became dinted or had a hole put in it uh, against all sort of expectations and because uh, when the uh, the craft came to deorbit and land uh, the heat of of passing through the atmosphere sort of burnt away the hole burnt away the inside of the uh, the the orbiter and ultimately led to its uh, its destruction the reason why I asked the question about the STS, uh, have you any idea what the space transit system was meant to be? What what the shuttle's job was meant meant to be? This is some, something which I discovered in my uh, research. Only in that it was supposed to be a reusable uh, sort of bus in space, if you like. Yeah, sort going of a, up and down, putting the satellite like up, a cheap reuse, yeah, reusable sort of uh, yeah. system. But uh, initially, it sort of dates back to the the end of Apollo. So you got got this idea of the space transit system was meant to be that there uh, there would be a moon base, uh, the shuttle would be used to take uh, various objects up and down into uh, Earth orbit, and then there'd be a separate sort of shepherding system that would then take stuff from orbit to the moon from orbit to the moon and back from the moon back to the earth again so hence the space transit system the the, the shuttle was like the first step in that in that that process right. of course none of that came came to be no and you ended up with something that was largely used for uh uh weightless re- research uh in in low earth orbit and also for the launching of of satellites course commercial satellites and military satellites largely died a death after the uh, the explosion on on the challenger mm-hmm. so what you're left with is essentially a, 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 a system that was just used for uh, at that point construction of the ISS the ISS the International Space Station so the, the actual accident itself was the 113th launch uh, it was it was apparently delayed eighteen times before the actual takeoff, uh, and and I think that speaks to like the complexity and maybe the reliability of the system as well. Very very sensitive, loads and loads of things that could affect it. Although they did say that the those delays actually had nothing to do with the uh, with the accident. But one of the things I wanted to talk about in respect of this is, I mean, you used to have a poster on your bedroom wall, David, of of a space shuttle. I did, yes. And that would have been Columbia, uh, I think. Yeah, that's right. Was because it one thing you know, one thing I, I I do remember about the accident was that everyone seemed to forget that that was the first space shuttle. It was the oldest and the first one. And no one no one in the media seemed to mention that at the time because one of my just to kind of go back a little bit talking about us being young and where we were and that kind of thing obviously I'm we're both way too young to remember Apollo and the moon landings and so on but I do remember the first flight of the space shuttle I do remember watching it land and being a little bit awe um awe inspired is yeah, that the right yeah, term yeah a little bit really impressed by impressed it, by the fact by it was it. a proper spaceship that had gone up and had landed and would go up again. Yeah, yeah, and it Whereas looked like a every ship, other yeah. spaceship had, you know, gone up and crashed back down, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was it. It was basically scrap metal again. Yeah. And you know, even though I was what seven or no idea how old I was, I kind of knew that you know what we called 
spaceships at the time they weren't like the x-wing fighters in star wars or whatever but this was the nearest thing we had and that thing that induced that feeling of awe in me had exploded well fallen apart exploded whatever you want to say and that that did have an effect on how i felt about it mm-hmm. yeah. that it was the one that I'd seen that had gone wrong. Yeah, that's right. It, it's in, interesting because you know you, you, there's people probably of of our uh, parents' generation that the, you know they they talk about uh, Gem, Gemini and Apollo, and they, they, there was a, a great deal of excitement around that, and it, it didn't matter if you were American or not. Well, presumably this is different if you're Russian, but certainly if you, if if you lived in the West, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the space program that the that the, uh, the, the the Americans did was kind of on on all, all our behalfs, and you, even though you weren't an American citizen, you still felt quite excited by it. It's still quite part 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 of it. And I think, do you think there's like a certain element of people tend to poo poo the the shuttle, and yet for us it was generally quite quite exciting. Yeah, I think you and I possibly have slightly different perspectives on it to other people of our age. Well, just other people in general. Because there's quite a lot of just disparaging of the space program in general. Mm. I don't know if I've come across a particularly large amount of, well, the space shuttle was rubbish kind of feeling. Yeah. You possibly, by the look on the face, you maybe (laughs) think differently. But... I've always just seen it as kind of anti-space program feeling rather than an anti-shuttle feeling, possibly. Yeah. Well, I suppose a lot, of, a lot of the environment that we grew up in, the, the debate was was sort of framed by that, the the post-Apollo era, and all that there was was Skylab after that, and people were very meh about mm. Skylab, which wasn't terribly exciting. But but it was it was brilliant. It's it fantastic. It was a space station. <laughs> yeah, it was a space station. We made it work. It was uh, fa- fantastic. But uh, so just to sort of move, move on from the kind of the slightly emotional relationship we had we had with that. I think it might be worth just worth stopping for a little while here to remember, in particular, one, one member of the crew, which is uh, Ilan uh, Ramon. Uh, any any prizes to guess why he was uh, special? Uh, he was a payload specialist, right? He was uh, Israel's Israel's first oh, uh, right. astronaut, and so I imagine that although I can't I can't speak on behalf of anybody from Israel as such, I imagine that that this this disaster is much better remembered in Israel because th- th- this was obviously a very important sort of moment for them and uh, their relationship with, with with the US in terms of the space uh, the the space program. So I think it's, uh, that, that that was sort of very very sad for them, and also there was a, a, the one the mission specialist who's uh, excuse my pronunciation, Kalpana uh, Chawa, who or Chawa anyway, uh, who was also the although was an American citizen was uh, Indian born, right, and so is uh, obviously very very well remembered in India as one one of their first uh, astronauts. So that's just a little sort of aside. So. Let's just talk a little bit, a bit about the, the thing. The thing I want to kind of concentrate on with, with this. The, this was mission STS one hundred seven. Although the numbering is not uh, exactly consecutive because of the, the planning and when things were launched and whatever. But previously on STS one hundred twelve, 
SDS 52 and SDS 62. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely not sequential. No, yeah. yeah. Right. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Well, well, sorry, 52 and 62 were earlier in the program. Uh, 112 is slightly earlier. Uh, they both had... Uh, the, so all three, three of those all had external tank uh, shedding of the foam. Right. Right, which, which you would think maybe just maybe might have sort of raised alarms and it, it, it did it did so so extent so this is all kind of path it's all, all been sort of well worn but so NASA then developed a set of uh, what they called risk tools which was essentially a, a database of all the incidents of uh, of foam shedding and 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 the the potential damage to the uh, the, the the thermal shield that, that was underneath the uh, the orbiter and they they did say that if there was to be sheets of ice that had formed on the external tank, that if they were to shed, they would be more dam- damaging because obviously they're heavier. And so they had this rather sort of tortuous logic that says, well, ice is heavy, it'll do a lot of damage. Foam is lighter, therefore it's fine. Right. Without yeah. actually thinking, okay. yeah, but this already has already caused like one or two bits of da- damage along along the way. Uh, so it just seems like yeah, we're going to build a tool, then use it to justify our sort of uh, our preconceptions, yeah, yeah, our, our opinions right. after the fact. So after the launch, they they they, they discovered in the the video, the the film of, of the launch, that there was this sort of impact of, of the foam, and there was a, a certain number of engineers in the background, kind of in the middle level, not the senior management by any stretch, saw that and were worried. They requested imaging from the Department of of the Defence, Department of Defence, sorry, to use their satellites to look at the orbiter to see if we could see what damage had been done, if any. And also they requested the NASA management have the crew inspected the wing. Okay. And again, NASA wouldn't wouldn't tell them so they 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 tried two different paths to to find out if so NASA wouldn't tell them if they had or NASA wouldn't well as far as I understand the 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 NASA ignored requests as to uh, as to whether they'd done the inspection and when it came to the actual um requests to the Department of Defense they they actually actively stopped those requests and said to the Department of Defense, you don't need to provide anything, everything is fine, which is a worry. So my question is, right, like say, just, it's an interesting what if, because I think it's, it's an interesting moral question, what would you do if you were that middle manager, yeah. that middle middle ranking engineer with your concerns, what would you do? Yeah, well, I would like to think I would do something about it, I would speak out in some way, but actually, would I? Like, I think about what I'm like at work. Yeah, yeah I, th- uh, I think that it's very easy to point the finger at these yeah. people and say, you should speak up. But the chances are they would speak up and then get the order of the boot. Yeah. Which is really very, very sad. I suppose it's like the, wh- the whistleblowing thing in general, isn't it? Mm. You know, they might listen to you, but then what? You know, it's likely that they do the thing you say and then you get the boot anyway, mm-hmm. which is you know, sort of tends, tends to be what... what what happens to whistleblowers? Uh, the next thing is right. If say you're in the senior management, it's your decision what to do, and you've had wind that it it might very well be a problem. We can't guarantee the safety of people, and all the rescue options are kind of non-workable. What would you do? 
well, as soon as you throw in all the rescue options are non-workable, it, it basically makes it an impossible decision. Uh, what would I do? I, I would probably, again, one would like to think I would be ordering the an inspection of the shuttle. I would like to think I was telling the astronauts, make sure you've got your suits on, make sure you've got your helmets on, and that kind of thing. But if, essentially, you have to get them down again. Yeah, that's right. I've just always thought that even if you did know, even if being told for sure that there's a hole in the side of the 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 the, you know, the wing, there's, there's nothing you can do, you'd probably just keep quiet. I mean, that that would be a terrible, terrible personal price to pay because you know that it's unlikely that the people people are going to survive. But it it is just generally generally awful. I mean, the the flight director actually sent an email to the uh, the 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 orbiter. And basically, basically said, this this foam shedded from the tank. It impacted, uh, but it's all okay. As, right. fa- as far as we know, it's all okay. So they gave them a bit of information, but but not the whole information. Yeah, but well, they. I mean, it's it's unclear as to whether the senior man- management did NASA knew the whole thing. That they, they would say that they don't know the whole the whole story at that point. And I imagine there's probably an awful lot a lot of people at NASA probably didn't know. But yeah, it's it it's. I generally feel sorry for people put in that position, though. I mean, although oh yeah, it's really, really easy to say, well, they should have done this, they should have done that. What yeah. what could they have done better? But yeah. God, I mean, they reckon, they reckon, they say, according to the, to the report, in the end, the end, the end of it was that the only rescue option possible was that there was already another shuttle. I think Endeavour, yeah, yeah. was being prepared. And that they could have expedited that prep and got it up there. Uh, the Columbia had extra ex- extra Stops. oxygen and, and stores on board, and they they might have had like a five day overlap between those you know, being able to launch and and uh, being able to do, do a rescue. But it's very unclear as to whether that would have been a success or you know whatever. But uh, that I mean I, th- I think at that point the idea was that you would then sort of engender a panic and say right we're going to launch a new shuttle was probably just just sort of unthinkable at the time. But yeah, I, I, I generally feel it's easy. I think a lot of people have have been very they're very quick to condemn the NASA managers and so on, and and very easy to point the finger. But even if they did know, I still think they they made a. A legitimate choice, even if it's a terrible choice, yeah, to land the orbiter. Yeah, to move on with the story, and and so the next aspect I wanted to to, to look at was just sort of how that affected the rest of the program, really. In that there was how long the, two the, two years, two years, years. yeah, slightly longer than two year gap before the next flight, and the next flight was largely just a sort of a hop, skip, and a jump by the discovery, wasn't it? Yeah, and then after that, we had the 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 last missions were all to the ISS, with the exception of uh, one to the Hubble. Hubble, that's right, which was a massive success. I mean, here we are back back into sort of. Uh, the golden age again really Hubble had been a massive success for the space shuttle in the first instance you know <laughs> after mir- a certain <laughs> amount of <laughs> mirrors notwithstanding yeah. things but if you think about it though when they went to, to do the repair 
Yeah, doing that, doing the repair was the repair amazing. was a huge success, and that was ne- that was never the, sh- the shuttle's fault in the first instance, was yeah, it? No. It was it was the people that uh, that grabbed the mir- the mirror wrong. Was that something to do with? I've heard a few different theories about that. the The first one and the one I tend to repeat to people that I heard was a mix a mix up between imperial and metric units, mm. because again. This might not be true, but I did hear that it was British people who made the lens, and therefore it was British people who made the mistake. Right. But just recently, from one of our friends, he was repeating the same story, but he said it was Americans. But you can imagine, both British and Americans are going to have problems with you because of our stupid idiotic... (laughs) Yeah, they sort of... Rant time. No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, the ability of the Americans to stick with so-called English measures. Uh, one of our worst exports ever. Yeah, I, I understood it was something to do with there was a certain uh, factor that they hadn't taken into account in the grinding, something to do with the, the way it was laid on yeah. the table or The other one I have heard was um, that they didn't take into account the possibility of it moving during launch. Uh, so right. like slight structural changes that would happen right during the launch and that uh, might bend it out of shape yeah yeah that's that's the other theory i heard yeah, but, yeah. You know. so this is the thing right so there's all these pro- problems with with the hubble space telescope didn't it also have a problem with the one of the uh the solar arrays as well uh that's ringing a bell yeah that one of them it, didn't unfurl it, it, or something. it never extended properly mm. did it so that so all of those things are problems with 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 the hubble and yet uh the mission to repair it in the first instance put the glasses on was a huge success and then when they went back a second time to uh replace the gyroscopes and you know, upgrade some of the instruments and put the instrument back which had been taken out the first time around or an equivalent thereof was uh was a huge success you know, and and there we are. So the 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 utility of the shuttle, uh, and what a fantastic sort of thing it was. And then of course, come two thousand eleven, we had you know the the sort of the last flight of Discovery in March, Endeavour in June, and Atlantis in July. Endeavour was Endeavour the one that they built in replacement for Challenger. Now you're asking. Yeah, I think it yeah. was. If I remember rightly, that that was like kind of like a semi-built test rig. That they then decided to complete the airframe and fit it out uh, as a replacement, uh, you know, after the Challenger disaster. But I remember when that happened, though, I was just, I was enormously nostalgic uh, about you know the last flights. It was it was it was very very sad. It was like it was an end of an era. I, mean, I don't know whether you felt the same thing at the time. Or... Yeah, well, I didn't feel enormously nostalgic. I, I don't know why. I'd, maybe there was other things going on in my life at the time. I don't know. But I did, yeah. It was it was a shame. It was the end of an era, and I did feel like that. Yeah. yeah. It has to be said. I think it's time, perhaps, had come mm. in the end. You know that the it hadn't proved to be as adaptable and as quick, and it was much more expensive. And yeah, it, it had proved that that idea was like a a good idea, a high thing to aim for, but actually there's easier and cheaper ways of doing the same thing it seems ridiculous but yeah using expendable rockets turns out to be cheaper and more reliable yeah, than exactly to send is. something up and bringing it back yeah. down yeah, yeah. And, it, and i suppose it also does two things doesn't it it clears the decks for what now f- follows so at, at the moment we've got the uh the, the space launch system you know the sls uh, which nasa are developing and some people are poo-pooing that because it's all 
second-hand shuttle technology. You know, the solid rocket boosters and the uh, like an upgraded version of the engines or whatever. But, you know, it's a, it's a heavy lift rocket. I'm sure it's going to be perfectly good. But it also sort of clears the decks politically as well, doesn't it? Because then they can rethink and go, well, how do we spend this money? And should we be spending it perhaps on other people who can supply rocketry? Mm. And of course, the people that move in there or the people that we have now are, are people like SpaceX and orbital sciences and uh who's uh, the they're the united launch alliance and all the, which is is that boeing i think led by boeing yeah, yeah so i think in 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 retrospect we you know we we can uh learn an awful lot about kind of the management of big projects and how we make manage risks and you know try and save lives perhaps in spacefaring and we can mourn the deaths we can mourn remember the tragedy but perhaps it did bring an end to something so that better and more interesting things could co- come along would that be fair do you think yeah um i don't know if you'd say more interesting yeah i suppose in the long run better i mean yeah. i do always have a hankering for the idea of a space plane i i, I you know i i do know you know there, there was a lot of thought at nasa uh, in, you know, in America, in the, the space program and the, the U.S. Air Force and so on, before Kennedy made his big speech about getting to the moon in the '60s and all that kind of thing, they really wanted to do a space plane. It's what the X planes were all aiming at. That was their yeah, the X-15 pref- program in particular preferred and- method of getting into space and so on. So all the rockets were essentially a distraction mm. for them. And you know, maybe we would have been further along if that hadn't happened. But equally, I'm quite well aware that it it's turned out that actually it's not the most efficient way of getting into space, or, or at least with the technology we have at the moment. Yeah, apparently I, it's not. I mean, interestingly, the way space SpaceX has gone is is with the the reusable rockets. Yeah. Which seems to me like an interesting sort of... What, it's, it's conceptually uh, like halfway house, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And one thing I wonder about is the people who buy the launchers, are they going to be told, oh, this is on a second hand, one that's returned, and do they get a discount? Because <laughs> I would want one. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've made this comment before about sort of roll up, roll up, buy your cheap rockets. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, Gov, want to buy a second hand rock? <laughs> Rockets, you know, they one care. <laughs> Elon Musk there with yeah. a big overcoat. <laughs> David is miming the overcoat. Yeah. I tell you what, we should should we do the uh, the audio description thing? That whenever David mimes something, I'll just go. And I David did. is miming the lifting of an overcoat in a surreptitious <laughs> manner. Uh, yeah. So and so okay. So uh, on that sort of rather jolly note, I think I think we should probably move on there but yeah i think it's been interesting to revisit that that's uh something which is quite important to the things that i find exciting and interesting at space science and engineering uh but it's sort of slightly forgotten so i'm glad we've re- re- revisited that old news right so we're not going to start with the word right are we That'd no bad. S- story number two story number two your ticket please <laughs> Right, so I've entitled this rather imaginatively uh, the DPRK and the bomb, mm. uh, which is the what's DPRK? Democratic People's Republic of Korea of Korea, not Congo, as we were joking earlier on. So, yes, That's North Korea, 
North Korea. Anything that has democratic in it uh, almost always isn't. People's is always a bit suspect because that's always somebody in the name of the people. Uh, though it is a republic, I will give them that. Though it's probably the world's only communist it's, monarchy. It's, it's the least republic, republic. <laughs> republic it's republican universe. republic. Yeah, but it is Korea. At Close least, to the Republicans? No, no, no maybe it's not. Part, it's part Korean. Uh, oh, there'll be letters. <laughs> what have we just <laughs> gone back letters. to the to the 70s? Oh, dear. So, in, in sort of classic shambolic fashion uh, of where uh, news overtakes you, th- this was quite old news uh, when we first discussed it a couple of weeks back, uh, and like has since become very current news. When you say a couple of weeks back, two two months? Two months ago, yeah. We, get, we yeah. did agree that, yeah, our birthdays are in June and July, and we kind of talked about this in July. <laughs> this is true. And, and so, oh, what was old news has become new news, and I'll just news I guess and I will posit at the end of this little exposition that, that, that it will very quickly become old news again because th- these things always tend to although you, there's almost always a story about North Korea on the BBC website really? I don't know if you noticed that because you get a lot of clicks from a story about North Korea alright why, yeah. why do you think that is I think people are, people are genuinely interested in anything about well that country because it's such a strange place Mm. Possibly because it, you know it's one of the last communist countries, and because it's so secretive and such, you know all that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, if any like uh, news site puts something on about North Korea, they get a massive number of clicks. That's no. not why we've done it. Doesn't the Republic, uh, the Republic of Korea, South Korea, don't they have restrictions on news reporting about the North? So could those clicks be generated by? South Koreans looking for news and information, possibly, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that. I wonder if that's part of it. You know, when people maybe using uh, VPNs and all of that to sort mm. of get around there, because it's easy to forget that South Korea is is a democracy, but it's it's kind of rough and ready, and there's certain things about it which uh, I don't think would be acceptable in the West, including those kinds of news restrictions. So this is we're talking about news. The the incident we want to sort of start start with is uh, the 9th of October uh, two thousand and six, and this was the first the first nuclear test uh, with the, the the North Koreans had sort of threatened it. They'd had a program and then they put it into suspension, and then the Americans had agreed to give them certain things. So the it was called the Agreed Framework, imaginatively titled Treaty Between the Two. The Americans said yes in in exchange for you you suspending your uh, nuclear weapons program we'll provide you with uh, light water reactors you know that would be able to provide power to the country and that, that that was under clinton that hadn't really happened it had sort of dragged on and on and on and and so they not only uh, restarted their uh, nuclear pro- program but they then also withdrew from the non-proliferation treaty uh, in sort of this is sort of in the build up and then on the 9th of October they sort of they, they let one go uh, and uh, I think <laughs> they what sorry I think let, letting one go <laughs> in terms of in terms of a, a very large fart is actually <laughs> it's actually not an unreasonable uh, sort of analogy here because the the explosion was less than one kiloton and the, the various estimates exist but the, the the most accurate seems to be about 0.48 kilotons I could do better than that with the stuff in my garage yeah yeah it's it's not it's not great and we, we should think about that a little bit sort of more closely 
and so the, the various people detected this you know through the seismology and there's also the there's that weird organization that doesn't exist because there's the the comprehensive test ban treaty and although that's never come into force there's the the preparatory commission for the comprehensive test ban uh, <laughs> organization and the uh, they have various detectors and uh, they detected a certain amount of uh, xenon gas or one or two other things so in you know in the atmosphere but it's very difficult in fact it's extraordinarily difficult to make an atomic bomb that small so the like your you normal atomic bomb the kind of thing we let off in uh hiroshima which is obviously the very sort of uh, very beginnings of that technology it's about 20 25 kilotons that sort of the all those weapons of that era of that sort of size yeah. uh, in kilotons it's thousands of tons of tnt equivalent in case anybody listening uh doesn't know but and so if you're talking about one kiloton or less you're talking about small tactical nukes which is something the americans really really struggled with and the soviets really really struggled with and it's kind of unclear as to you know what what the results of that re- re- research was, but it's very it's very very diff- diff- difficult to make something that small, which makes us conclude what might not have been it may, might not have just been, been a lot of TNT T, or it didn't work. Yeah, that's probably cause, cause the most did, likely thing. Yeah, we did detect a certain amount of radiation, right? Uh, and so we know that something happened, but it was probably what was called a fizzle, where you're tamper goes in and it starts to uh you, you start to get get the reaction but then the whole thing blows apart too quickly and so you don't get that conversion of matter to energy and uh, you don't don't get that sort of uh, enormous release of power you, you would expect my my first thing is right, i just just wanted to revisit the idea of mutually assured destruction and uh the kind of slightly naive thoughts i had on this i remember when when i was at school we were doing about the the cold war in history in school and we were talking about uh, the idea of mutually assured destruction and that there would be a balance i said well wherever there's tension in the world why don't we just give both sides nuclear weapons <laughs> right <laughs> and, and, and at the time the big the big sort of there was a there was a bit of a ding dong going on well there generally is but the, the, it was all sort of in the press at the time about uh, india and pakistan over uh, Kashmir. Now the Indians let let their first uh, nuclear bomb go in was it the late seventies, the early eighties. No, yeah, I, I only recently found out it was that late. I thought it was more recent than that, but yeah, yeah, right. it, was, it was yeah, so reasonably sort of distant. But then I remember making this sort of semi-joking suggestion in a conversation with some of my school friends, and they all thought it was very very funny at the time. And literally within weeks, pa- Pakistan let their first bomb go. Uh, sort of weeks after that, and mm-hmm. I said, "Hooray!" And, <laughs> and yeah, both sides. My my geopolitical uh, th- theories uh, cl- cl- clearly worked, and uh, you know they haven't had a war since between <laughs> India and Pakistan. But then again, well, they haven't really resolved resolved anything uh, terribly ter- ter- well no. <laughs> since, and no- nobody has any incentive to because they've all got nuclear weapons, and so does China, that uh, also sort of is is next door as well. Yeah. Uh, and and that's a little bit more complicated. So so there is this very naive un- understanding of mutually assured destruction in that you know there's there's a balance and people say oh well the US had nuclear weapons Britain and France were on the same side and you had the Soviet Union on the other side or more latterly Russia and that there was a balance. 
but actually uh, th- this whole theory rests on a couple of other sort of more subtle points which I think are easily forgotten about so the first the you've got this idea of first and second strike is this familiar territory for you? Or I'm you, aware of the concept you, of first the and second strike. Yeah, so I'm the, not sure where you're going with go this. With it, right. So the idea that you would have a, a first strike weapon, which would probably be a land-based missiles, which is kind of what the Americans uh, have, uh, the, the Minuteman 3 systems and all that. Uh, and then, so if you were to launch that first, Russia would retaliate. You would likely be destroyed. Some of Russia is left star standing. So you would then have a second strike, which would be your submarine based sort of launched capability. And the British view, and I think the French view generally for a long time, has been to have uh, sub, sub, submarine based launched missiles. Uh, with We reserve the right to launch them, but they are kind of something that would, would, would happen in kind of the second stage of a, uh, of a nuclear exchange. So. We, we need we need to think think about where 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 does this theory apply to uh, Korea? Well, so we'll get back to that. And secondly, and I think this is much more important, is that the mutually assured destruction rests on this idea of uh, what's called rational actors, and that all of the actors in the play are rational. Mm. And much as we much as we may not like the Soviet regime. Or you know, whoever be, happens to be American president, or whoever, yeah, whoever happens to be whichever in charge, orange man, yeah, whichever uh, angry racist Satsuma uh, gets the presidency. They're, they're generally rational. They don't want to, or certainly all through the Cold War, and I think I think also true of of Putin since, uh, well, Yeltsin and Putin. None of them wanted to see their own country totally wiped off the map. None of them want to see the end of humanity. So although we were keeping, uh, although tensions existed, we were keeping essentially the pretense of defending ourselves. Nobody wanted to ever press the button and it was strongly in everybody's interest not to do so. Here's my first question. In the 9th of October 2006, we've got Kim Jong-il on the the throne in the Republic. Uh, <laughs> letting one off. <laughs> letting one uh-huh. off. Uh, have, we, have we have we just slid into British toilet humour just a bit too much here? Yes, we have because you know, well, we're British. <laughs> yeah. So, do we think that Kim Jong Il is a rational actor? Uh, uh, probably not. Maybe he he was rational enough not to start a war with South Korea while he was there. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? You've got that whole period where you've got Kim Il-sung in charge and the enormous conventional forces. And in terms of numbers and the ability to do damage to Seoul in South Korea, nobody has crossed the line. But there's been a few incidents, been a few shooting matches here and there, especially in the early days of the armistice across the, uh, the demilitarized zone. But nobody's ever really done it and no, no, well no, nobody has nobody started a shoot, shoot, shooting law so do we think he's ra- rational despite all of the shouting and the screaming and some of the alarm i'm not convinced it's going to cause uh, a nuclear exchange on the korean peninsula any moment soon certainly in 2009 uh sorry in in 2006 yeah. when when this 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 happens so so the, which which like is the next question who's it for I mean, why? Why are they? Why are they de- developing the the weapons in the first 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 place? And who's the demonstration for? It's for themselves. It's for the people in North Korea. Hey, it, to a certain extent, it'll be for the people of South Korea as well. Hey, look, we've got nuclear weapons, and you haven't. 
yeah, you might have all the money and Samsung, but yeah, we've got some nuclear weapons. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's probably to dem- demonstrate to the Americans that we're we're a serious player. You should take us seriously at the table. But I also think that although from an external viewer those things make more sense to us, that the internal audience is more more important. Yeah. It's about the regime projecting power and saying to its own people, those people outside, we've convinced you that they're our enemy, you're to feed them and whatever, and look what we're doing to protect you. Uh, and the other, the other thing is is that although Kim Jong-il is quite secure in his position, he's only secure by the fact that he's pursued for a long, long time this policy, what's called military first. Yeah. So for those listening, you know, the military first policy was essentially saying that the entire economy of the of the DPRK and the policy of the gov- government would favour military spending, favour the support of the military structure ahead of economic development, yeah. the welfare of the Growing people. Growing rice. Yeah, feeding their own people. Uh, and, and so you end up with the, the disaster that is sort of the, the fam- famine in the 90s. So by doing that, you're kind of saying to the military, you're getting what you want. Yeah. And because the military is so large, you have to keep them on side. Mm. So this to me looks like theatre. It's just extremely dangerous theatre. Yeah. I mean, I imagine like Russia would totally just at the time probably roll its eyes and go, oh, for God's sake, what the hell are you doing? Mm. And it's obviously just destabilising and creating tension and it's on our border. Just like stop it. Uh, but if, if that's Russia's sort of point of view, I imagine that's going to be China's point of view, but like times at least a billion. <laughs> <laughs> Rolling their eyes all the way back. That's, sorry. Yeah. And this is the, the one issue where I actually feel some sympathy for the Chinese regime. Yeah. Because right? they're not terribly. You know, well, let's get ourselves banned in China. You know, the regime in China, you know, is not terribly pleasant a lot of the time. And yeah, this is the one thing I feel sorry for them on because they're stuck with them as a friend. Yeah, the world needs somebody to be their friend, and yet, you know, yeah, they've got them doing this kind of nonsense. And then, then, so over the years, there's been a series of these tests, right? So in 2009, there's a two to seven kiloton explosion, which is probably more sort of realistic as a as a nuclear test, uh, which is sort of preceded by a missile test as well, which is obviously very threatening. I think, was that the one where Japan said, do that again and there'll be war on? Yes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah which uh, which I, you don't really want to hear that from Japan. Yeah, yeah. you get quite nervous. Yeah, because yeah, the, the Koreans have tried that in the past and go very well for them. But it didn't go very well for Japan in the end, I suppose. Uh, and then in 2013, you've got... Another one that goes off at 7.7 kilotons, which was supposedly a miniature. And this is the thing, isn't it, right? One that they can actually put on a missile. Onto a, yeah, which is the key thing, isn't it? That up, up, up till this point, and certainly in the first instance uh, in 2006, is that they've no way to, to deliver these things hmm. other than perhaps by, I don't know, maybe it's by the back door. Yeah, sort of truck or something. Yeah. A truck or maybe it's a shipping container or, or something. But I imagine anything that produces that much radiation and is a bit leaky mm. you know, would probably get spotted. And then obviously just recently, January this year, the first H-bomb. Which, well, supposed first H-bomb. Yeah, supposedly. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm no expert, but I'm, I'm dubious as to whether that was an actual H-bomb. 
it, it does just make me laugh to see the British pointing at somebody and going saying I don't believe <laughs> yes. that's Nate's problem yeah. I had this conversation with someone the day after I was saying oh yeah there's no way it was a real H bomb and what was nowhere near big enough of course they're not the first to do that and he was like what <laughs> yeah well we did it yeah our first H bomb wasn't an H bomb <laughs> <laughs> it was just a big, big A-bomb. And lots of Australians <laughs> got sunburn. Yeah, and uh, we convinced the Americans it was an H-bomb so they would give us theirs for free. Free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's terrible gallows humour. They were laughing at this, and this is yeah. like potentially the death of all mankind. So, sorry, Australia. Yeah. Yeah, I know you've got a big chunk that you're not allowed to go into, you know. Uh, yeah. Sorry. But if, if if ever you want to make a large portion of the desert into a glass parking lot, where you're meant. Yeah, and then obviously, no, what's the date today? Is it? Um, I haven't got me. Hang on, We're, I've got calendars everywhere. It's today is the first of no, November. No, it's not. It's the first of October. First of October. That's sorry, a 10. I yeah. can't read. Uh, so it's the first of October. So the 9th of September. So just just less than a month ago uh, this year, we've got this so-called sort of warhead test right so this is 10 kilotons interestingly the south koreans have taken this very very seriously they think this possibly is a deliverable warhead on the end of a missile right so that's obviously a lot more concerning probably not to hit the continental united states because you know that it's it's not that kind of range yet but they they can fire these missiles with increasing accuracy into like the at one point, they just used the lob stuff into the China Sea, and used to sort of, or the Japan Sea, sorry, and you sort of would end up somewhere vaguely around there. Whereas now it seems they can actually like pinpoint the same point uh, more than once, which is cause for concern. And and so, if the Republic of Korea are taking it seriously, we can only assume that they have reasons to take it seriously. If yeah. they are, presumably, the Americans are, and everybody else uh, at the same time. My my, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna posit this despite the the progress here the the, the progression and the the, the the potential for escalation and also also you know they, they reckon that north korea are one of the biggest exporters of technology to uh pakistan right you know that these two nuclear programs go hand in hand which is kind of weird yeah uh, yeah because you, you kind of think yeah pakistan's a bit of a a weird place, but the government is generally sort of sensible-ish. Well, the military is separate from the government. Yeah. So the government seems to be increasingly heading down sort of a, an Islamist route for whatever reason, mm. uh, whereas the the military tends to be more sort of interested in stability. Um, despite the dictatorship, the military dictatorship or whatever, they haven't used any kind of weapons to threaten anybody. You know, yeah. despite the various comings and goings of the instability in 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 Pakistan, the, the military there seem to have protected the nuclear uh, sort of side of things quite quite reasonably well. And so, I'm just going to posit, despite the escalation, that has anything really changed? No, really. No, no. Yeah. When it comes down to it, if I don't suppose the south koreans feel any more like at the average south korean on the street maybe if there's any south koreans listening they could tell us but i can't imagine they feel any more threatened than they did when there was yeah. just millions of soldiers on yeah. the other side of the border well, we which are still there anyway yeah. you know and the okay so they, they have a ruled out there's like an anti-missile system isn't there which i can't remember the name of so the, the north the north see that defensive system as being being sort of provocative and, and but again nothing really changes it's in nobody's interest to attack south korea because that'll only 
Well, if you throw attack South Korea, what two things will, will happen? Korea will defend itself with enormous force, right? Yeah. And I know people slag off the South Korean military for being technologically exciting but not very effective, but they've got a lot of it. And you know, like, they've got their big friend, USA, yeah. actually there with troops on, on the ground and just enormous resources. And it would invite the ire of China. Yeah. yeah. I mean, China has normal relations with South Korea. Because China, although officially friends with North Korea, they're not going to... You do worry that they might just stay neutral, but you can't imagine them not doing anything, really. No. Well, I, I imagine China would issue threats, yeah. and probably quite public threats, as well as threats you know, through back channels and whatever beforehand. You know, the, the Chinese really aren't stupid, and the Chinese value stability over everything else. Yeah, yeah. What has changed since then in all that, of course, we've got Kim Jong-un in charge. Yeah. And everybody keeps saying, oh, Kim, Kim, Kim Jong-un is, is an unknown quantity. In some ways, he's been surprisingly a known quantity. He's essentially consolidated his position. He's eliminated his uh, internal sort of opposition with great ruthlessness. And for the moment, is quite stable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I, like, d d despite the like the absolute madness of letting uh, the, these bombs go, I mean, the, the Japanese, the last, the, la the last one, uh, just earlier this month, called called just uh, unbelievable recklessness. I think was the phrase phrase they used, and it is incredibly reckless. But I'm not convinced it really change, changes much. It's just another way of the North Korean government screaming at the top of its voice. But it always does. Yeah. I don't. Know, I'm not going to. I'm not going. I'm not going to uh, not sleep at night because of the threat <laughs> of of a, a conflagration starting in in, in Korea. Hmm. O L D N E W S. Old news. So yes, we've got to thank Pete Kitson for doing our little old news stings. What 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 sting for the uninitiated? The little voices that say. Old news and that kind of thing. He is rather good at it. Yes. I, I will say he is a he's a set. Uh, I was going to say semi pro, but I don't know if he's actually ever been paid for it. So enthusiastic amateur. <laughs> yes, and uh, very good. He, he is at it too. So thank you to him, and also thank you to bensound dot com uh, for the use of their music. Uh, and we you know if you want free music for whatever, we do rec recommend you go there. All available under Creative Commons licenses. Uh, so thank you to bensound.com if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast uh, get in touch with us via twitter on at oldnewspod you can also email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com and if you'd like to visit our website that's available at oldnews.podbean.com old news I'm recording this little bit at the end here a few days after our main recording session because of the way Russell and I said goodbye in the original recording didn't work very well so on behalf of russell and i thank you for listening uh hopefully we'll be back in a fortnight's time or so for more old news thanks now bye